Revolutionary Talk for Revolutionary Times. Liberty Talk FM. Good morning. Welcome to Medicine on Call. This is Dr. Elena George. And today I have a really special guest who hasn't been with us for quite a while. But with everything that's going on with our supposed health care reform, the debate, the um, <laughs> the lack of any movement, I thought it was really important to actually start once again pushing and discussing the options out there for people. Our healthcare system is not, if it's left to the devices that are, are in place right now, it's never going to change. I mean, let's face it and let's be honest about it. The forces that are driving our healthcare system are in place. They are still making pronouncements and writing the legislation or trying to write the legislation. And it's all about status quo. And if we really want to make a difference, we need to do what people are doing with the NFL at this point, which is to withdraw your consent. If it doesn't work for you, why on earth do you keep doing the same thing, expecting a different result? Why do you keep paying into a system that's working against you? And finally, people have decided, I'm I'm not going to deal with it. I'm offended. Why should I spend money to prop up people's salaries that don't think like I do or work against me or worse yet, think that I'm the problem and call me names? Why do you want to do that? And at this point, we need to just have that same attitude towards why are we spending all of this money, coinsurance, deductibles, premiums, and we're still in a position where we're not getting anywhere, that we're not being able to see the doctor that we want, that we're being priced out of standard of care medicine that, you know, what your doctor wants to give you at this point, you can't afford or it's denied. When are we going to wake up? And so today I have Mr. Ralph Weber, who is the, uh, the president and CEO of Medibid, on with, on with us today to discuss what's the, what the option is. Medibid has been around for quite a while, and I'm going to give you the, the floor in a second, Ralph, so you can tell us how you started and how you came to it. But it's all about choice, and it's all about the patient having the power of the consumer. The power of the purse is how we take our power back, and this... The whole goal of Medibit is to put that power back with the patient and the physician, which I really respect. So, Ralph, I wanted to thank you so much for coming on. I know you're really busy, but just to have you on is a real honor for me. Well, thank you, Dr. George. It's a pleasure to be here, as always. It's been a while since, since I have been on, so it's nice to be back. Well, how did you get started with Medibit? What was the, the nucleus that, that drove your idea? Well, actually, what happened is, and this occurred in, let me see, it was 2008, the election, when Obama was elected. Mm -hmm. uh, I realized, you know, right then and there, and I was actually on vacation in Thailand at the time when I saw the election results. And having lived in Canada prior to that, and having left Canada because I had relatives that were injured by waiting lists, I realized that the U.S. would soon be on a path to single-payer or government medicine of some sort. So I knew that I had to do something that would work, for example, in the status quo of the Canadian system at that time, because Canada is one of two countries that has a true single-payer system, meaning it's illegal to pay a doctor for medical care. Uh, most, most countries that have government medicine have two-tier, but Canada and North Korea have single-payer. So it's very, very restrictive. So I, I knew that we'd either have single-payer in the U.S. or two-tier government medicine, and there would need to be some free market options. So that's, that's when I started, and that was the, the initial thrust. Uh, as we built it in 2009 and then opened to the public in 2010, we realized, you know, that we were marketing to individual consumers and initial, initially was a lot of Canadians on the waiting list, people with high deductibles in the U.S. and uninsured, uh, and, and it was working, you know, pretty well, it was working pretty well. Mm -hmm. But then when the ACA passed and we saw costs starting to skyrocket very, very rapidly and all of the restrictions, uh, that's when we realized we had to change the model from a B to C to a B to B. So, you know, we, we sort of, you know, made some changes, you know, last two or three years, we started working with a lot of the healthcare sharing ministries uh, on solutions and using Medibit for employer funded um, health plans. 
and you know that was a, a big a big change for us mm-hmm. because what we what we found is that we were able to reduce employer costs by up to sixty percent. So you know that was a it was a good change. It improved their health care. Mm-hmm. It reduced their deductibles. It increased access to doctors, and you know overall it was an improvement. So that was um, you know when when we made that change, like I said about you know, about two or three years ago, and we've been growing very very rapidly since. We've got about seventy different employers, two hundred sixty five thousand paid subscribers uh, on MediBid now. I have a question, which is kind of vexing for me, because you mentioned the cost of healthcare before you uh-huh. stepped in and. and and basically got rid of all the overhead and all the administrative stuff that that makes it so expensive, at least I think makes it expensive. What's your theory on why the healthcare costs under the ACA went up so exponentially? Well, because when, whenever you leave politicians to try to fix something, uh, they are ruled by the special interest groups and the lobbyists that are pitching for their own sort of piece of the pie. Mm-hmm. Uh, Washington doesn't understand the difference between health care and medical care. So they're trying to reform health care by really, you know, reforming the insurance mechanism or the payment system. And with the medical loss ratios um, requirements within the ACA being 15 to 20 percent, depending on the size of the uh, of the employer group, they, they tried to tackle that 15 to 20 percent piece instead of the 100 percent or instead mm-hmm. of the other 80 to 85. And by doing that, uh, the illustration that I have in my new book uh, is is of a, a man pushing a boulder uphill, and by making the the, the man smaller being the administrative, the finance side, it becomes harder and harder to push that boulder, and eventually the boulder will just be too big for him, and it'll roll over him, and that's basically what happened. So I guess the, what they've done is increase the, increase the administrative side of it in order to keep it up. Is that, is that a fair analogy? I mean, if you look at the hospitals, well, they, it's like they, a 17 to 1 uh, administrator-doctor ratio there. Yeah. Yeah, exactly. Well, what they did is they increased the administrative requirements, uh-huh. but also said, you know, you can't spend as much administering this. You, you need to administer with a smaller budget. So there's less chance of, of oversight. Mm-hmm. Uh, the hospitals and physicians have to do more, you know, as you just pointed out, in terms of billing. The insurance companies have to do more. Um, but when there is a smaller margin to administer it and more and more requirements, that's when, you know, things get out of control. And, um, you know, the the insurance companies like to use what's called, uh, like to have the hospitals use what's called a charge master price, mm-hmm. which is an artificially billed amount. And then they apply an artificial discount to that. Mm-hmm. But nobody knows where the starting point is. And the PPO networks have, um, I, I did an analysis for, for one client of about $648 million worth of claims. And I found in one procedure alone, they had a 4,500% variance from the high to the low. The same so facility. So that kind of variance. Hold on, the same I'm facility sorry? had that. The same facility had that degree of variation. No, not the same. Ah. No, not the same facility. Different okay. facilities. Okay, gotcha. Uh, but yeah, but but there's a lot of procedures that that have a thousand or two thousand percent variance, mm-hmm. and there's there's no um, transparency. And applying transparency, a lot of people that are in similar companies to mine. Nobody, nobody does you know, what we do with the competition and bidding, but there are companies that talk about transparency. And they say, we're gonna show you how much Dr. A charges versus Dr. B. Mm-hmm. And if you look at uh, the difference in charges and you consider the average American with a, you know, and deductibles, as you know, deductibles and out-of-pockets are higher and higher. Mm-hmm. So if there's somebody, let's say just a regular uh, American making you know normal wages, has a high deductible health plan and they're forced to pay premium for it. And let's let's just say his deductible is five thousand dollars and he needs a knee replacement. And he's given transparency and he said you can you know he's told you can go to provider A or provider B. A will charge thirty thousand dollars and B will charge ninety. Uh, the patient's first question is going to be okay. What's what's my cost going to be? I mean, how much do I save if I go to the guy that that is thirty? And they say, well, none. It's going to cost you the same. Oh, well, in that case, I want to go to the, the guy that's 90000 
um, because people take cost as a proxy for quality. However, uh, in the U.S., it's usually an inverse correlation between cost and quality. The more you spend, the lower the quality. And, and let me explain why. And, and I did a short video on this that kind of illustrates the point. So let's, let's pretend we have two surgeons, Dr. A and Dr. B, both orthopedic surgeons doing knee replacements. Dr. A does five knee replacements a year. He's not very experienced. He takes a long time. Dr. B does 500 knee replacements a year. He's very quick. He's very thorough. So Dr. B uh, can perform the whole procedure in about 25 minutes. Mm -hmm. He's in and he's out. And if he comes across a complication, he's seen it 100 times that year. It doesn't even slow him down. He just takes care of it, finishes the job, and gets out. Now, both hospitals and anesthesiologists bill by time. Mm -hmm. The hospital bills by time in the OR and night, you know, overnight stays. The anesthesiologist bills by, by time as well. So with 25 minutes under anesthesia, let's say it's even 30 if there's complications. You've only got two units of OR time, two units of anesthesia, and you probably don't have to stay overnight because you've been under general anesthesia for a relatively short period of time. Dr. A, meanwhile, might take two and a half to three hours to perform the same procedure. So you've got more OR time. You've got more anesthesia time. If he comes across a complication, he has to call another surgeon in. So that adds even more time. So by the time you're done, you might have been under for two, two and a half, three hours. Uh, you've got, you know, as I said, more time in the OR, more time anesthesia, and you probably are going to have two overnight stays because of the length of time you were under anesthesia. Right. So it costs more. And, and, you know, Americans don't really understand that. So that's why it's very, very important to, to look at those things, look more, more at the quality than the cost. Mm -hmm. And we're not accustomed to looking at the inverse correlation. So that's, that's a big education uh, process. It's very true. And, and even if you wanted to, you don't know the cost, like you just said. So there's no, there's nowhere, I mean, sudden lists that you're going to a cash-based practice, obviously, where they list their prices online, where you know what you're dealing with up front. That's really the key to everything. And, you know, if they did nothing, in my opinion, with a, both with the Affordable Care Act, but they added price transparency and got rid of the mandate, they wouldn't have to do any more legislation because people would actually wake up and be able to make informed decisions. <clears throat> would you think that that would be a fair um, and a cheaper way to go about reform? I, I think that's part of it, but I think that there's more that's needed than just price transparency. Uh, because, you know, as, as I said, if, if somebody has the same out-of-pocket costs, whether the provider charges 30 or 90, they're most likely gonna pick 90 just because they think he's better. Okay. Once they see the actual quality and outcomes, then, you know, they might make a different choice. So what we have to do is we have to make sure that they always have skin in the game. Mm -hmm. uh, and we want to get them to choose the better provider, not the worst provider. Sure. And it just so happens that most of the time that's going to save, save money. Uh, I've, I've read a study that, that says upgrading from a C-rated facility to an A-rated facility can save $16,600 per procedure. So the savings are pretty substantial, mm -hmm. and price transparency alone won't get us there because if they just see the prices, you know, and their out-of-pocket costs are the same, they could make the wrong decision. Well, I mean, if you have um, a national source, some sort of database where the price is on there and also the outcomes, like you just said, so it's a one-stop shop. Right. That would probably, yes. and then social media is not a bad um, way to also go. Mm -hmm. I get a majority of my exactly. patients now from online where people have read reviews oh, really? and mm -hmm. they decide, hey, I want to come to you because everybody loved you. Kind of, you know, that kind of, uh, uh, I guess it's a user-friendly uh, portal where it's patient-driven. Maybe that would also be something that you can add into the decision-making process. But ultimately, you know, we have a two-tier system too. I mean, if, if you have a health insurance, a health savings account, that you're, you're accessing, you don't have the same ability to, to use your money the way you want to versus someone who's paying strict cash out of pocket. I mean, the insurance company has a lot to say still with a health savings account, don't you think? Yeah, they, they, they do. Uh, and, you know, there are additional restrictions on health savings accounts that there didn't used to be, mm -hmm. um, which, which 
don't help things. They actually make things worse. Uh, a lot of my clients that I work with uh, are companies that have 50 or more employees, so they are subject to some of the ACA employer mandates, mm-hmm. and they want to embrace healthcare sharing as part of their benefit strategy. Mm-hmm. Uh, but if they just did that alone, they would be subject to huge employer fines. So often their brokers will drive them towards an expensive uh, insurance plan which is not the solution. They can't afford it, so they get as high a deductible as possible, $7,000 in mm-hmm. some cases, and then the employees who earn thirty-five, forty, forty-five thousand 45000 a year are faced with $7,000 deductibles that they can't afford, so they don't get the medical care that they need. Well, so the healthcare sharing has much lower out-of-pocket costs, and we've designed a plan that works together with healthcare sharing that protects the employer from the mandates and allows them to put money into a health savings account on behalf of the employee so that they can help pay for their medical needs, whether they choose to get a plan on the exchange or healthcare sharing. Uh, it gives them those funds, and, and it, that alone also reduces costs by at least 50%. Well, Ralph, on that note, let's take a break and explore that further when we come back. You're listening to Medicine on okay. Call. Welcome back to Medicine on Call. We're speaking with Mr. Ralph Weber, the president um, and CEO of Medibid. And before the break, Ralph, we were talking about how you incorporate health sharing ministries, and I'm fascinated by this. I'm self, you know, a small business. I don't have 50 employees, and we've incorporated Liberty Health Share, and it was really easy because we didn't have to have the the ACA mandate, but it because it was also grandfathered in as something that's allowed under the ACA, we were compliant. So can you walk us through just a little bit closer how a, how a, a business larger than 50 people would be able to incorporate a medical cost sharing and health savings accounts? That to me is fascinating. Sure. Uh, we, we have a lot uh, of businesses with 50 or more, some of them, you know, with, with a couple thousand uh, employees. And we actually have some that are, you know, even smaller around the, you know, 20, 25 employee size uh, that just want the convenience of the health savings account. Um, healthcare sharing uh, is is very very cost effective you know as you know mm-hmm. with liberty uh, which, which you pointed out it's one hundred ninety nine dollars a month and you've got five hundred dollar annual out of pocket maximum mm-hmm. so I mean these days you can't even find a five hundred dollar deductible except in the government you know mm-hmm. um, but outside of that you just don't see them anymore you know the average I think is about twenty five hundred these days with probably six thousand dollars out of pocket maximum which is just simply unaffordable. So, you know, the healthcare sharing makes sense. However, how does an employer pay for it? That's, that's really the question. Mm-hmm. Uh, an employer, what an employer cannot do, because the rules have changed on this within the last few years, they cannot tell their employees, hey, listen, if you get, you know, Liberty or Samaritan or any kind of healthcare sharing, just show me the receipt and I'll reimburse you. Mm-hmm. You can't do that because mm-hmm. that's considered an unauthorized health reimbursement arrangement and that could result in, in, in really high fines. Uh, health reimbursement arrangement rules, the HRA rules have changed a great deal. So um, you have to be very, very careful. And the fines are $100 per day per employee, so 36500 per employee. So, so you definitely don't want to go there. Mm-hmm. What you could do is just give everybody a $200 raise and say, hey, you're on your own for health care. Mm-hmm. But number one, that's taxable income. Uh, and, and number two, they could just take that and you know go and lease a new car. Uh, or, or do anything. There's nothing that obligates them to get health care, and you can't even tell them that because, again, that, that treads on the uh, HRA rules. Mm-hmm. So, you know, there's a lot of things you can't do, which would make sense, but you can't do them. So what, what I did is I created a MEC, and under the ACA, under Section 1501A, Chapter 48, 5, 000, uh, Section 5000, uh, an employer of with 50 or more employees is required to offer minimum essential coverage or pay a fine of about $2,260 per employee per year, which is going up next year. If they don't do that, they have to pay a fine on all of their people. There is an exemption for the first 30, so if you had 100 people, you have to pay it on about 70 people. So the fines are really, really high. 
So what are your options? Well, if you offer minimum essential coverage to at least 95% of your staff, you check the box on what's called the sledgehammer penalty, or the some people call it the A penalty. Okay, so it gets you out of that one completely. Um, the MEC plan, as they're called, which stands for minimum essential coverage, uh, that I've designed is compatible with an HSA. So you open a, a health savings account and you put the money in the HSA. And then by doing that, uh, you know, you, you give your people the money to get their own health care. Okay. Uh, and again, you, you, you don't really earmark it. You said, you know, here's $200 a month if, if you participate in the MEC, which is, you know, approximately the cost of liberty. Mm-hmm. Now, I'm not a tax advisor, so I can't give tax advice as to whether you can use your HSA funds to pay for liberty or not. Uh, you'd have to talk to a CPA about that. I talk to a lot of CPAs, and they have split decisions on that. You know, some, some say, yeah, I think it's, it's viable. Others think that it's not. Um, I do know that health insurance premium is not an acceptable expense under an HSA except during periods of unemployment or disability uh, or COBRA. That's the only time you can pay for insurance premium through an HSA. But healthcare sharing is not insurance premium. Right. It's actually paying for medical care. And that's why some CPAs feel that it is a viable expense. You know, again, uh, I, I, you know, I would caution, you know, like one of these things, don't try this at home, <laughs> you know, um, consult your tax advisor and, uh, and explain that to them. But, uh, you know, even if you decide that you don't want to use your HSA funds to pay for health care sharing, mm-hmm. that's $200 of tax-free money that's coming in uh, every month. And you can use your HSA, you know, because it's not a use it or lose it, you keep it uh, you know, until you retire, and then you can start withdrawing it the same way you do IRA funds. So you can say, hey, listen, my budget has just, you know, freed up $200 uh, less that I have to contribute to my IRA, so I'm going to use that to pay for health care sharing. So there's a lot of options. So getting that MEC plan with the HSA contributions is is what really works for health care sharing. And, and I, like I said, I've got about 70 businesses that do that. And because it's, well, the, the thing with ERISA, which is, um, can you explain what that is and does that, you know, s- step in the way of this or is it completely separate because it's not insurance? Um, ERISA basically regulates, and, and I'm very much oversimplifying, regulates self-insured health plans or self-funded health plans. Um, there are two kinds of health plans. There's a fully insured plan you know, such as one of the big insurance carriers, uh, you know, market. And then there's a self-insured health plan. The, the, the big insurance companies market those as well, but they have the insurance networks, which is, you know, the biggest part of the, you know, uh, of what pushes the cost up. The fully insured plans are regulated by the state departments of insurance. And I wrote about this actually in, in both of my books, in Metacrats and Rigged, How Insurance Ruined Healthcare. I, I, I tell the story about how it came to be that the states regulated insurance plans. Mm-hmm. And it was because of the McCarran-Ferguson Act in 1946. So, so that's why the states regulate those. The federal government, however, regulates self-insured health plans under the Department of Labor. And when the ACA passed, the regulation stated that you have to offer minimum essential coverage or pay a fine. All of the states were told to select the core benefits that had to be offered in that state. And, you know, call, those, are called what, those are what's called essential health benefits. Okay, mm-hmm. and it includes things like you know inpatient surgery, outpatient surgery, prescription drugs, you know, and all those kinds of things. So each state had the ability to decide that. The federal government never decided on a set of essential health benefits for self-insured uh, plans. So therefore, the MEC was created, the minimum essential coverage, which is basically just preventive care. Mm-hmm. Uh, and and MECs can cost anywhere between. I mean, I, I've seen them as low as $30 and as high as $150 per employee per month. And the reason for the, the variance is it's partly due to the demographics and, and size of the staff, but it's also some of the MECs add in benefits such as telemedicine or DPC, uh, membership-based DPC practice. Uh, some of them offer prescription coverage. Some of them are HSA compatible. So there really are you know, a, a great number of MEC plans available. 
Uh, and the exact type that, that any employer selects is, you know, based on individual consultation of, you know, regarding their needs. Well, when you say the, these kind of plans, are they run by the, uh, the major players like Blue Cross Blue Shield and Cigna, et cetera, or are they actually separate entities? They're, they're separate. Uh, I, I have not so. <laughs> heard of a Blue Cross uh, doing a MEC. Okay. Uh, they could. They're but not. I haven't heard of. Yeah, no, I, I don't think so. So oh. what, what people do, you know, when people come to me, when employers come to me, uh, I set them up with a private third-party administrator uh, that could administer this kind of plan. And they're very, very economical. Um, you know, like I said, they satisfy the sledgehammer penalty uh, and, and get the employer out of the, the largest of the fines. Of course, there's also a fine for not reporting, uh, you know, and, and filing and tracking your employees and, and stuff like that as well. So they get, you know, they, they, can, uh, they can add a component that gets them out as well. Um, there is still ex- exposure to what's called the tack hammer penalty, but that's a relatively small and uh, exposure that's easy to mitigate. So, Im- correct me if I'm wrong, but to me, this seems so much better than major medical commercial plans because you actually get to tailor it to what your employees need. You're not paying for things that you don't want, and it's a heck of a lot cheaper. Exactly. Is, am I wrong? Because this is like, why isn't everybody doing this? Yeah, no, no, you're exactly right. Oh, yeah. You're exactly right. Uh, a lot of times when I will talk to a company, they will go to their you know local broker that they've used for a, you know a number of years, mm-hmm. and I always tell employers, have your broker call me, and, and I'd be happy to explain it, and you can continue using your local broker. Uh, not all brokers are educated on this, so you know I, I don't think it's it's their their fault for not advising their clients. They just don't know enough. So I will help you know educate their broker, and their broker can be their local service person for these kinds of plans. So, um, you know, if more people did that, we'd have more. Now, some brokers, unfortunately, as with any other profession, are more motivated, you know, financially with mm-hmm. the big commissions that come with the expensive insurance plans mm-hmm. uh, that they're just closed-minded. But, uh, you know, thankfully, there aren't that many of those. But, you know, you, you do have to be cautious that they do exist. Well, I'm glad you mentioned that because that was actually in the back of my mind. On that note, let's take a break. You're listening to Medicine on call. Affordable health insurance was the promise of Obamacare, but for many, the government mandate caused more problems than it solved. This is Dr. Elena George from Medicine on Call, and I want to tell you about a truly affordable alternative allowed under Obamacare, Liberty HealthShare. Liberty HealthShare bypasses doctor and hospital panels, giving you the freedom to choose. And with a maximum of $500 out-of-pocket per person and 100% coverage up to $1 million per year per occurrence, you can rest assured knowing you and your family are protected. Coverage starts as low as $107 per month and also includes dental, vision, pharmacy, and holistic care. Liberty HealthShare puts you back in charge of your health. Visit them online at libertyoncall.org. Again, for a true affordable alternative to Obamacare, visit libertyoncall.org or call toll-free 1-800-714-6993 today. Welcome back to Medicine on Call. We're speaking with Mr. Ralph Weber, author of Rigged and his newest newest um, book, and Metacrats, which gave a really awesome synopsis of who the players are, who stands to gain, follow the money in our healthcare system. Nothing's changed. The only thing that's changed is that we're getting smarter. And what you just described to me as a small business owner, any small business owner needs to take advantage of this because it would lower our bottom line for our employees by half or more of what you're saying and it's like the best kept secret now can you i mean you're basically talking about it's not the same as basic medical insurance right it's a little bit better than that from what you described because it does but you could add basic medical plans or indemnity plans to this could you not Oh, sure. Absolutely. Uh, The average employer with 500 employees will save about a quarter of a million dollars a year. 
wow. by by switching to this kind of scenario. So that I mean that's that's you know serious money. Uh-huh. Uh, not for Washington. <clears throat> I mean that's what they spend you know ten <laughs> times every second. I'm sure, yeah. uh, just in waste. But um, yeah, it, it's very very flexible. The the mech is think of it as a foundation of a house. You know, and it, and it covers the 76 preventive care items that are required by the HHS to be covered with no deductible, no copay, no coinsurance, you know, et cetera. Mm-hmm. So that's the first part that's covered. But then you build from there. Uh, you can add, you know, as I said, you can add telemedicine. You can add a health savings account. Uh, you can add doctor's visits, prescription drugs. You can add a DPC practice, uh, which is direct primary care, you know, membership-based uh, medicine. Mm-hmm. Uh, you can add, you know, as you said, the indemnity products that will cover you if you're hospitalized, if you're diagnosed with, um, you know, one of uh, 20 or so specific illnesses. Mm-hmm. You can add accident insurance, you know, disability. So there's a bunch of stuff that you can add mm-hmm. and really make it as robust as you want. Really, I bet. So, you know, that that's really the key. And if I were, I mean, you know, to me, it makes sense to do a shorthand and just go to some go to you quite frankly and cut out all this middleman stuff where there's no conflict of interest you just said before the break there are people out there who will keep you in the dark because it's in their interest to do so you know this is human nature follow the money who if you have someone with a um a conflict of interest and that's my major complaint about the commercial insurance plans. They have a conflict of interest. They uh, get your premium. They, they put you on the hook to pay copays and deductibles. And it's in their interest to deny you care. And it's not like a basic medical where you pay a, a premium and you're guaranteed that they'll pay out. You are not guaranteed that they pay out with a commercial plan. If you read the small print, it always says, just because you're covered, and I'm paraphrasing, doesn't mean we're going to pay for it. How do they get away right. with that once you reach the pre-certification criteria and you're meeting well, the it, mm-hmm. medical necessity? How do they get to just say, mm-hmm. no, we're just arbitrarily going to say no? You know that that's a good question. That that's a really good question. But that happens. That happens a lot. Uh, we had uh, a, a patient that that came to us on Medibit a few years ago, uh, where that happened. Mm-hmm. He was scheduled for a full hip replacement. The insurance company had approved it five days before the surgery. The hospital called them and said, "Your insurance company isn't going to cover it anymore. Uh, so we can give you a thirty percent discount, um, you know, and, and still perform it." And he said, "How much is it after the discount?" And he, he was told. after the discount. So he came to us and he got bids ranging from $7,000 to $21,000. He actually selected the one that was 21000 which was the most expensive, mm-hmm. okay? Mm-hmm. And the reason he chose that is because that particular surgeon uh, explained that his procedure was a minimally invasive, meaning he didn't actually cut through the muscle, which had a much shorter recovery time, a recovery time of two weeks versus three to four months. Right. And because this patient had a small construction company that he was actively on the crew, you know, climbing ladders and lugging plywood, would he needed as short as possible of a recovery time so he went to the most expensive surgeon at 21,000 versus 70,000 for a more invasive procedure he had the procedure done and he literally walked out of the hospital on his own two legs the next day so you know he was very very pleased with his outcome he called me later you know a, a couple of months later and he said i want to thank you for saving my company and i said i think <laughs> you've got the wrong number i didn't save your company so he explained the whole story to him, to uh-huh. me uh, the today show picked it up and he was on the today show so that that was a real real good nice success story well you know that's just the nucleus really if you think about this and, ex- and extrapolate this once that doctor, you know, that doctor is now known for that minimally invasive procedure, maybe that would encourage other doctors to go and learn from him. And then once you have more doctors doing it, the price drops, just like, um, right. what do you call, um, LASIK surgery, you know, or any cosmetic surgery. Everything that's, that's fee-for-service that is able to be transparently transmitted and patients get a hold of it, and it becomes popular, the price generally drops. It doesn't go up. It's the opacity of it where you can make up numbers. You know, usual and customary with people, I'm sure people who have insurance have heard this when they get their explanation of benefits. That is a totally fake number. 
I don't even know how they come right. up with usual and customary because there's a book in every um, zip code that tells a doctor how much the average for 60th percentile, 90th percentile, et cetera. And the numbers they come up with are not on based on any of those numbers that I've ever seen. So how do they get away with that? <laughs> that's a good question. Uh, you know, that's the part that was not addressed under the ACA at all. Of course the, not. The build prices or the allowable. Of course, yeah. <laughs> and because, you know, a lot there are a lot of special interest groups that want to keep prices high. The hospitals want to keep prices high. The insurance companies want to keep prices high uh, because they all operate on a margin. Mm -hmm. So there's an incentive to treat, not cure diseases. There's an incentive to have the... Um, the high-costing doctors that that mean more more rooms in you know more nights in the room. Mm -hmm. uh, you know, there's an incentive to keep those. So so that's kind of what they do. Uh, and the ACA didn't even touch on that regulation. But that's where the free market comes in exactly. because the free market can solve that problem very very easily, very easily. And that's what we're doing every day. And that's a conflict of interest that we talk about. That is just you know it's ingrained in it, and it's so. It's fuzzy, so no one can actually f see that. And it's mm -hmm. costing people more. It is denying care to people. And it's denying payment to physicians who are out there doing things for their patient for the right reason. And there's games that are played, and we don't have a level playing field. I find that to be the most demoralizing and disgusting part of practicing medicine now, that you're right. practicing based on the Hippocratic Oath, you're in that room with that patient and you know what's the best thing to do for that patient. And you're following guidelines from your, your specialty organization. You're not just making things up. And you have some entity that stands to gain by denying the patient care and telling you you should like it. And the government's behind them. That to me is, it's an unwinnable game. Therefore, you should stop playing it, withdraw your consent and go cash basis or what you just described have a, a situation or a system in place. And I, actually, I do want to ask you this question too. Once you have these MEC plans, once you craft your, your cafeteria of, of, of services, is it the same mentality as a major medical plan? Will these folks be denied for treatment that the doctor wants? Is the doctor gonna to have to jump through massive hoops with pre-certifications and denials after the fact? What's the story with that? Because that, to me, as a physician, I'm curious to know. I don't want to play these games anymore. I just want to take care of my patient. Is this a different standard of delivery of that care in terms of the payment side? It is. The the items that are covered uh, under a MEC plan uh, vary depending on the type of MEC and the design, the plan design of that MEC. So right. there's, there, there's a great deal of variance, you know, sort of between them. So uh, depending on, on what kind of mech you get, and those are automatically covered, and ah. the preventive care services are covered with no deductible, no coinsurance. So it's so, like the indemnity, what you're saying, is that once you have the claim, it is paid for because it's not subject to game playing. It's what you're, trying to, it's what you're saying, it, right? Exactly. And then when you couple that with healthcare sharing, uh, each of the healthcare sharing entities have different sharing guidelines. Sure. Uh, but, but generally, they are, in, it's been my experience that they're much more cooperative than insurance companies are in terms of taking care of their members. So, uh, you know, a, a few of the healthcare sharing ministries use Medibid so that they can get competitive pricing and good quality mm -hmm. of their healthcare provider. Uh, you know, there, there are, there is one that uses an insurance network, uh, and that's the most expensive one. Mm -hmm. uh, there's a couple that, that use transparency tools, but, you know, as I said earlier, the transparency tools can actually increase costs. Uh, so, I, you know, I'm, I'm, I'm in favor of transparency, but transparency alone can actually backfire and cause an increase in costs. So you really need a comprehensive service. And I mean, if you were having your kitchen renovated, something as ordinary and, you know, not quite every day, but an ordinary expense that, that people are used to, you don't just call the first contractor mm -hmm. uh, on Angie's list or out of the phone book. No. You'll probably call three and say, come by and have a look and, and give me a written estimate. That's basically what we do for medical care. That makes perfect sense. I mean, there is the one, there's no such thing as one size fits all. 
and you just described the patient who took a more expensive pay, um, treatment plan because it worked for him. It was an individual choice. I think it should always right. be about choice. That is the key. And anything that's top-down, centralized, you know, this is one way or no way, that's not the answer. And I think people are going to be rudely awakened if they think we're moving towards single-payer and it's going to be a good thing and it's going to be cheap. Everybody's going to get what they like. I mean, <laughs> that's never going to happen. Am I correct? No. I you, didn't think You so. are correct. Yeah, I, I've lived in a few countries that had single, well, one country that had single-payer, but then a couple of countries that had two-tier. Uh, and that system... Uh, has rationing. There's wait, there are waiting lists. People are injured and, and hurt and uh, disabled sometimes because of the waiting lists. Uh, single payer works good for everyday stuff. <clears throat> you know, you break an arm, something like that, you mm -hmm. know, works pretty well. But complicated things usually uh, are, are not, you know, affordable by the payer. Um, and there's rationing, there's waiting lists. So, you know, if you don't mind waiting 13 months to get an MRI, uh, then those systems can work for you. So I, I just am not a fan just because I've lived in one. A lot of people have fantasies about how wonderful they are. And, uh, you know, they, they really ultimately trust the government uh, more than they trust themselves. And they feel that the government can take better care of them than anybody else. Uh, but I haven't seen that to be the case. Neither have I. On that note, let's take a break. You're listening to Medicine on Call. Well, you know, I wrote in all of my books, you know, about government waste and AARP, which is a $1.35 billion corporation, gets hundreds of millions of tax dollars. You know, you and I are small businesses. Mm -hmm. Do either of us get any, you know, bailouts or tax dollars? No. no. But the huge corporations do. Well, how do we... Uh, I mean, my thing is if we can't, have, can't stop the government from doing it, we can stop joining these organizations. Would that not work? Um, yeah, it, 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 you know, if we got enough people to do it, mm -hmm. you know, but, but the question is, can we get enough people to do it? You know, some people will just say, well, you know, yeah, I support it in theory, but, you know, uh, yeah, I'll still join ARP so I can get my Medicare supplement. Well, you can join AMAC, you know. which is the counter to AARP, who was a fan right. and helped exactly. write the Affordable Care Act. I mean, it does come down to the individual, though, Ralph. I mean, ultimately... You need to start doing your own due diligence and stop having people tell you how to think and what to do. If it's not in your right. interest, there is no reason to be doing these things. And if you don't right. know what you stand for, then you're going to fall for whatever. And that's what we're dealing with yes. now. And I think hopefully people are realized, yeah, I'm just, I'm just fed up. I don't want to hear this anymore. And how do I unplug? Mm -hmm. I'm hoping that that's a right. trend. And in healthcare, we definitely need that. What you just gave mm -hmm. over the last 45 minutes is a blueprint for small business, medium-sized businesses, individuals to take their power back. This is not that hard. It's not mm -hmm. like it's reinventing. The, it's there. How do we, you know. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> your book rigged. And it complies with any regulations. Exactly. So you're within the letter of the law, but you're making it work uh, for you. That's why I really love joining Liberty HealthShare, because I knew that I was. Right doing what the law said, but I was making it work for me and I wasn't paying into a system that I don't believe in that works against me. That was really empowering. Right. It's awesome. And I, you know, joined Aflac because I wanted to beef it up. So now, I mean, yep. we get paid. One of my employees got a tooth pull. She got $600 back from Aflac because it's a procedure covered under our policy. That's a win. Right. How right. many people can say, I, I get yeah. paid to stay healthy? <laughs> you can't exactly. say that. I, I joined Liberty myself a couple of years ago, so, you know, I'm, I'm living it, too. And it's there. I mean, we're living proof of it works. We're not getting gouged. We're not getting denied. We're actually getting paid to stay healthy, and we're getting to decide what we want, what constitutes health for us. And, I mean, when I joined Liberty right. HealthShare, I really wanted to have, you know, holistic pieces put in because I believe in it. And they were so, as a member, you have so much power that you can say, you know, oh, yeah. why don't we think about Absolutely. this? Medical um, tourism, that they added that because the members were really interested on thinking outside of the box. What 
you're right. going to get that from Blue yep. Cross? I don't think so. No, 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 not at all. So tell us, and you just wrote not this book all. called Rigged. Tell us a bit about that, because, uh, I mean, this is a whole system of rigged. <laughs> okay, sure. Yeah, it sure is. Yeah, absolutely. Does it get walk yeah. through the healthcare system and how it got to be rigged? Yeah, yeah, I, I, exactly. I start at the beginning. I start in 1609, uh, and I tell the history of healthcare, you know, in America and where it all started. And I, I just wrote rigged um, in, I think it was May of this year, uh, and I wrote it in 21 days. It's 225 pages. And what was happening is I was talking to a potential client, and he said, how come, you know, if I go to a hospital for an MRI, it costs $2,000, but if I go through Medibit, it costs 200 And I said, that's because insurance ruined health care. And I heard what I said, and I said, oh, my God, where's a pen? Where's a pen? I have to write this down real quick before I forget. <laughs> and, and I wrote it down, and I said, that's the title for my next book. And then I put the word rigged in front of it because mm-hmm. it is rigged. It is. And you shouldn't have to say that insurance is the reason that it's so expensive or that it's ruined it. It's, mm-hmm. it's kind of an oxymoron, right? You're, you're expecting them to support your choices, to help you, right. be, to make them affordable for you. And they're doing the opposite. And, you know, they're, this whole, uh, is it non-tax, I forget, I'm having a brain freeze on what I'm trying to say, but they don't pay taxes, they're, oh, they're non-profit. How on earth right, right. can they get the designation of nonprofit? They don't give any free care. They don't. They make a profit. The CEOs are making out like bandits. What's up with that? Yeah, yeah. Well, actually, nonprofits are much more expensive than for-profits because a for-profit corporation can retain earnings or give dividends, uh, you know, and, and carry them over to another year. A nonprofit can't. So all of a sudden, if a nonprofit actually made money. Okay, let's say a nonprofit made $50 million, and we have a, a nonprofit hospital right here in Houston, a mm-hmm. hospital system. They had a 20% occupancy rate, and they made a ton of money. So they said, oh, my God, we have to spend this. What are we going to do? Let's build another hospital. Uh-huh. But we only have 20% occupancy, so then we'll have only 10% in each. <laughs> Doesn't matter. we got to spend it. Let's go, you know. So it, 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 I mean, it's just it, it's crazy. It's it stupid. is crazy. It's perverse incentives. And how come they don't take that money and give it to indigent charity care? What's up with that? Why don't they open clinics that they can give free care to people? Does that ever happen? I don't think so. No. They're building no, palaces. They're putting flat screen TVs in every OR. Double. I, I was in one mm-hmm. one hospital where they had three flat screen TVs in the OR. 50 ORs. What really? a waste of money. Yeah. Then they've torn wow. it down and they're building up a new section now. This is completely... I uh-huh. left that hospital you know, with jets uh-huh. on. But it, this is a waste of money, and it's not being delivered to the patient. It's like the colleges, right? They're making all this money, let's say, on their football, basketball teams. Do they turn around and give it back to the students in scholarships? No. I mean, this is... Is there anything that we can do to change the incentives? Is it a tax issue? Is it a moral issue? How do we let them continue to get away with this and still cry poor and want more? Mm-hmm. Right. Exactly. Yeah. Yeah. That is the issue. That's exactly it. It's kind of sick. <laughs> it is. But once you yeah, know that, really then is. you can actually say, you know what, this is wrong. And what's my choices? And that's what the show's about. And that's what you're offering. I mean, I'm just so impressed that right. you've, you took something and you just expanded it in such a way that you are helping probably hundreds of thousands of people at this point. Yeah. Well, we're talking to eight different countries that want to use Medibit for their national health care. Wow. And they, they want to make a reality show in Hollywood uh, about what we do, kind really? of like Extreme Home Makeover right. for medical care. You that know, where is awesome. people that can't afford procedures get to apply, and then they are selected, you know, like on Extreme Home Makeover. Mm-hmm. Uh, they compete for the spot, and then, you know, we get them to get bids on Medibit and finance their care and fly them, you know, to where they can have it done. And, um, you know, that's the pitch for the show, which is where I'm going actually tomorrow, going to Malibu to, to talk about this to some producer. Well, I wish you luck with that because it's all about yeah, getting the word you. out. It's the best kept secret. You know, that's what I'm feeling mm-hmm. about the whole, when I ever do a, an interview and I talk about Liberty Health Share or medical cost sharing, people are like, are you kidding? I didn't know this existed. And they're just amazed that there's an alternative. 
And that's really what it's about. Right. I mean, really, honestly, if people love the Affordable Care Act, let them have it. It's terrible, but let them have it. Right. Because once they realize yep. that yep. there's an alternative, anybody with half a critical thinking skill brain would go, I'm not, uh-huh. why am I spending all this money? I can't see the doctor I want. I have to wait forever. People keep denying me. Well, what about this? You know, that's, I think right. that's what the problem is, honestly. It's that, mm-hmm. you know, garlic to a vampire kind of thing. If you have an actual alternative where they have to compete, this system does not do well with competition. It right. hates competition. No. Because it, it never wins. It'll have to reform. It'll have to drop its price. It'll have to become user-friendly. And that's our right. job is to force them. I don't think it's a legislative exactly. answer, personally. I think it's what you're doing. No, it's not. Mm-hmm. It's us. Exactly. And I'm really, you know, I'm really impressed. Yep. I'm very proud of what you're doing because you are you. the future. And we're all in it together. Um, mm-hmm. Is there any, what's the way or best way for us to reach you for my listeners? Um, probably email or phone, um, ralph at medibid.com or my phone, 713-589-3398. Okay, say that one more time. 713-589-3398. You know, I would recommend anybody who is unhappy with their insurance, who have priced out, who are have their own business, to call Ralph, email him, get get into the game and start winning it instead of, you know, being on the outside looking in. No, Ralph, I want to thank you so much for joining me today. I learned a lot, and I'm looking forward to your next adventure and getting your book and uh, hopefully seeing this uh, reality show unfold. Yeah, great. Thank you. It's, uh, you know, it's pretty exciting, um, you know, and, and uh, we, we want to shed light. We want to bring attention to the problem, mm-hmm. show people that it is rigged against them and show them ways that they can work within the current system, um, you know, and, uh, and, you know, and, and make it work for them. So, you know, that, that's our mission. Well, on that note, I want to thank you and I want to thank you all for listening to Medicine on Call.